Well, if you open up to Philippians chapter 1, we'll be picking it up there. Just to let you know about the, the John Birch Society. Uh, it's an organization started in 1959 before I was even born. And, uh, um, but they, they're probably the foremost organization out there, education and activism, trying to protect United States sovereignty and trying to prevent this, this push towards global government. So uh, if you're interested in finding out about uh, some of the things and you just want to get some good information, that'll be this next Sunday at, at 5 p.m. And, uh, and so we'll be picking it up here in Philippians uh, chapter 1. We'll be picking it up at verse 3. And uh, let's, uh, there might be a few more handouts left from last week because we're still continuing that. And uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of, of prayer that he anoints the preaching of the, the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And uh, in a world of fake news, in a world of lies, there still are people, Lord. There's a remnant in America and throughout the world that long for your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me with your spirit and cancel the man. Uh, I'm a fallible man. We're all fallible. Only your son was infallible and perfect. And so I pray you would cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit, so that I would proclaim your truth and that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray you would open hearts and minds um, to accept your truth, the truth that is proclaimed from this pulpit today, and empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be all that you called us to be. I pray if there's any utterance from this pulpit is not from you, that um, you'd give everyone here the courage to test what they hear from this pulpit and to test what they hear and see throughout the week and throughout their lives, to test all things with your word. For you are a God who has spoken, and you speak truth, and you cannot lie, and you've spoken truth to us in the 66 books of the Bible. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So Philippians chapter 1, we gave you the background of, of Philippians and how Paul planted the church and spent some time there. And this was that church, man. This is the kind of church you want to have. This is a church that's, you know, they're pretty united. There's a little friction going on. We're going to find out later on in Philippians chapter 4. But overall, they love the Lord. They love God's people. And so Paul's message to them over and over again is rejoice. And he says, again, I say rejoice. He mentions joy or rejoice more times than any other book. But try to picture if, um, if, if I, as your pastor, were in prison and I wrote a letter to this church, and let's say I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. That's why Paul was in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. He was preaching God's word, and it got him in a, in a um, uh, world of trouble there. And that's, you know, you can't please God and men. You've got to choose who you're going to which side you're on, who you're going to please. And so if you want to please the Lord, uh, that's going to make some people angry. And if those people hold positions of power, you're probably going to end up like Paul in prison someday. Uh, but just think of that as if I were in prison for preaching the gospel and periodically you'd get a letter from me encouraging you to walk strong in the, in the faith. And that's what this is um, for the uh, Philippians. There was only one, maybe one little issue 
that he needed to help them to resolve. Two ladies in the church were constantly butting heads. And, um, and they were godly ladies, but they had a disagreement and all. But overall, he's just encouraging them, just keep on doing what you're doing and experience the joy of the Lord. And um, so now in the, in the first two verses, Paul and Timothy send their greetings um, to the saints in Philippi, the set-apart ones. You know, we're saints, we're set-apart ones, set apart for God's holy purposes. And then Paul, from verses 3 to 11, he gives thanks for them and prays for them. And uh, I'm telling you, that's a very important part of um, pastoral ministry is uh, the, the pastor's got, you know, as a shepherd loves his sheep, the pastor is supposed to love the people in his church. And, um, and you know, it's not always easy to love me, and it's probably not always easy to love you. But we choose to do that, and we choose to love one another, and that proves to the world that we're Jesus' disciples when we have love for one another. But Paul would thank God even for the churches that had issues. But here the Philippians, they were doing pretty good. And he was very grateful, very thankful um, for them. So he thanks God for the Philippians in verses 3 to 11. And look, we'll look first at verses 3 to 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So every time he remembers them, he gives thanks. You know, I don't know if he could say this about the Corinthians. I mean, he thanked God for them, but not in every remembrance. There was a lot of issues going on there. But he says, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you, uh, for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They were partakers with them in the preaching of the gospel. And we're going to see how they did that. Being confident of this very thing, that he who be, has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of, of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, he's in prison in Rome, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace." For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Paul thanks God for the Philippians. He has fond memories of his time with them. These were people who treated him with respect, and gave him the respect that he was due. Now keep in mind, Paul was a full-blown apostle appointed by the Lord Jesus himself and commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. Yet, you know, people like the Corinthians, guys who couldn't even stay away from their sin, would question his apostleship because he didn't uh, walk with Jesus during that three and a half years. You know, he had been a persecutor of the church uh, after Jesus rose from the dead. He had been a persecutor of the church and came to Christ about a year after the resurrection. And... Um, and so the Corinthians would give him a lot of difficulties and question him. Who are you to say this? Who are you to say that? Okay. Now, let me say this, though. You know, they were very respectful of Paul and his authority. He had full-blown apostolic authority. Okay. There's a lot of guys out there now 
claiming that type of authority. No, no. If, you, if you're pastor in a church, you have the authority that through the power of God and the grace of God you've been given and you've had to be obedient in that task. It doesn't give the guy behind the pulpit infallibility. Okay? So, so keep in mind, this is not the, you know, no local church pastor should put himself on the same level as Paul or the original 12 apostles. They, had, they were appointed directly by Jesus. Now you test what I say with what God inspired them to say in the scriptures. So we have apostolic doctrine, the apostolic teachings here in the word. But as far as Paul's authority and being nice to Paul, he had nothing but fond memories of his time with them. He prays, he tells us, with joy and makes requests for them. The word for joy is, is kara, being happy or content despite the circumstances. Remind yourself when you study the scriptures, God never commands you to have a feeling. When God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, that's not a feeling he's commanding. When we're to love one another, that's not a feeling. When God's word says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, that's not a feeling. God doesn't command you to have feelings, okay? God commands you to make the right choices. And then he empowers you through the indwelling Holy Spirit to make the right choices. So you've got to choose to love you got to choose to have joy. And by the way, some of us are having a tough, it's a tough choice for us right now in America to have joy because we don't have it quite as good as we had like maybe 10 years ago or whatever. Okay? Um, let me tell you, get used to having joy right now because things are going to get a lot worse. Okay? You know, I might think, you know, we might think, oh, my house is too small and it's never really warm enough or this or that and... We don't have the money to replace this and to fix that. And, um, hey, the day, might, the day might be coming. We might be sleeping in the woods. Okay, it could get that bad. And we think we have the great American exemption. I still haven't found that in the Bible. Okay, so um, things are bad now, but it could get a lot worse. And uh, pray for Christians who are being persecuted throughout the world. There are Christians right now that have been in prison in some countries like China or Muslim countries been in prison for their faith and they choose to have joy. Meanwhile, uh, you know, Phil Fernandez is, is having a pity party because his boss didn't say hello or something, you know. So just keep things in, in their proper perspective, but choose to have joy. Paul says he's grateful for their loyal fellowship with him in the gospel. See, they're his co-laborers in Christ. Now, uh, John made the announcement of our North African missionaries that we help support each year. And when they're in the States, we try to bring them by to, to speak. And the great uh, uh, Denny Smith, who went to be with the Lord in uh, November of uh, 2020, um, it's his daughter and son-in-law that are those missionaries but there was a time when COVID kept them out of North Africa. And a lot of their supporters stopped supporting them. Yet, online and through other means, communicating with people still in the North African country that they primarily minister there. They can't mention the name of it because it's like 99% of the people are Muslims and what they're doing is technically illegal. 
And, um, but they were really, really reassured and encouraged that we continued our support. And there's, a lot, there's quite a few churches that are supporting them, but a few of those churches said, look, if you can't go out there on the streets and witness to people, uh, you know, we're going to stop supporting you until you can do it again. Well, how are you going to make a living and buy food and feed your family? they got little kids and everything. Well, with Paul, they, the Philippians understood, even when Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel. He needs uh, to be financed. I believe with the ancient Romans, when you were in prison, you had to pay rent. Try, try to do that. I think we spend something like $70,000 a year per inmate of taxpayers' dollars, and they don't have to pay a dime. In fact, we even pay them a little. Uh, the Roman Empire was like, no, no, no. And, um, and uh, so, uh, but they continued to support him. So there was co-laborers, in Christ, they prayed for him. They supported him financially, and Paul was so confident that these guys were genuinely saved that he was convinced that God would finish the work that He started in them until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying until Jesus comes back, He says God's going to finish the work that He started in you guys. I think you guys are the real deal. Okay, and there's different views about whether you could lose your salvation or not. Um, I'm of the opinion that you can't, cannot lose your salvation if you're a true, genuine believer. But I'm also of the opinion if you're a true, genuine believer, you will persevere in the, in the faith. There's a lot. Everybody and their mother's brother calls himself a Christian nowadays. Okay? But our testing in America has yet to come. Okay? I, whenever I get visited by foreign missionaries who've been in prison for preaching the gospel, some of whom have scars on their backs from being beaten, and they speak so highly of me because they they use my used to use in the old days audio cassettes or or uh, MP3 format stuff like that to train their pastors and stuff, and so they treated me like I was some some holy dude or something, and I would remind them, I'd say, guys, my my faith has not yet been tested. Nobody put a whip to my back. In fact, usually, not always, but usually when I preach, somebody says amen. Somebody says, really good message, Pastor. I like, I like when, when you guys tell me, yeah, well, you preached a good message this week. And then it's like, I don't even want to ask you about your assessment of last week then. <laughs> you know, what is, what is this week? What does that mean? I, I thought I was always in the zone there, you know, and uh, but um, um, but whatever the case, these foreign missionaries, whenever I tell them my faith hasn't been tested yet, and they say, "We're praying for you; it will be." They know what's coming down here, and uh, and so um, so Paul was convinced. No, these believers are the real deal. God's going to finish the work He started in, in them until the day of Christ Jesus when the Lord returns. And so he's telling them, you guys share in my chains. You share in my imprisonment. They continued to support Paul's ministry during the, his imprisonment. He was defending the faith while in prison. And they said, no, look, we're going to continue to support your ministry. Now, Paul, when they gave finances, if he needed to pay rent, he paid rent. If he needed to buy food, he'd get food. But whatever money was left over, man, that was going to Timothy and the boys. Okay, 
That was going to Timothy and Silas and all these guys that were risking their lives preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they, they never forgot him. Let me tell you something. Paul really, really, really loved these guys. He had to choose to love the Corinthians. He had to choose to love a, a lot of the churches because of all the issues they had going. But it was easy for him to choose to love the Philippians. These were good people. He was very close to the Philippian church. And so now after thanking God for them, he prays for them in verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. I mean, he's like, these people are filled with love. And he says, you know what? I pray that you get even more. I love when people end prayers. I do it sometimes. I didn't originate it. I stole it from somebody. But uh, uh, we... Dear Lord, we love you so much. Help us to love you more. Okay? If you reach a time when you say, you know what, I love Jesus as much as I could possibly love Jesus, you've just proven yourself to be a liar. Okay? Until Jesus comes back and straightens out what needs to be fixed in your life at the return of Christ, there's still going to be work that he needs to do on you and on me. And... Um, but Paul prays to them 9 to 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Okay, so he's, he's asking God to give them more love, more knowledge, and more discernment. You know, discernment's like wisdom, being able to discern between what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false. Boy, do we need a, a discernment today in the American church. Okay, um, I mean, we used to have journalists like, um, I think it was Paul Harvey. So even the journalists were promoting Christian values in America. You turn on a television set and everything the Bible says is good. They, the, the media says is evil. Everything the Bible says is evil. The, the, the media says is wholesome and good. Okay. Um, you know, we need discernment now more than at any other time. But, you know, keep in mind, there are Christians that will give me a hard time. Some have come to this church, but then they decide not to come to the church anymore because they say, I have too much knowledge or too much wisdom. Um, let me tell you, um, God doesn't want us to be Christian ignoramuses. Okay? If God wanted... Let me, let me ask you this. If God wanted us to be Christian ignoramuses, why did he write us 66 books? You know? He could have just given me a business card with John 3.16 on it. Okay? And, um, and for some Christians, that's all it is. By the way, if, they, if that's all you know is John 3.16, you better share that with others. But let me tell you something. God told us more than John 3.16. Okay? And, um, you know, I like to think, well, this passage is more important than that other passage. But wait a minute. It's all God's word. <laughs> so, um, I mean, something might be, a passage might be essential to salvation. Another passage might not be essential to salvation. But it might be essential to, to godly living or whatever it may be. But it's all God's word. And... Um, God doesn't want us to be ignorant of his truth. Our, God is love. 
But the Bible also says God is truth. Okay? So the source of all love wants us to have his love. The source of all truth wants us to have his truth. Source of all knowledge wants us to know things. Okay? God wants us to be able to discern, to discern between uh, right and wrong and, um, and good and evil. And so he asked God, he says, he says, you know, you Philippians, you're doing really, really well. But I want God to give you more love, more knowledge, and more discernment so that you can approve of that which is excellent. Okay? You realize sin isn't always make, choosing the bad thing. Sin is sometimes choosing a lesser good when God wanted you to choose to be perfectly in his will at a particular time. He wanted you to choose a greater good. Okay? And it's difficult. Unless you're walking with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, I don't know how you can have that discernment. That's why I constantly encourage everybody, start your day reading the God's Word devotionally and in prayer. If you can figure out a way to sing praise songs without waking everybody else up in the house, then do that too. But start your day worshiping God, reading His Word in prayer, and get filled with the Spirit so that it becomes natural to walk in the supernatural. That will give you that discernment. But you, you show me somebody who doesn't study the Bible diligently, like we're commanded to, like in 2 Timothy 2.15, um, I'll, I'll show you somebody who's going to have problems in their walk. Okay? So, yeah, we need more love, but we also need more knowledge and more discernment. Okay? See, when we study the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not only changing our minds, but changing our heart. We are putting on the mind of Christ. And so for somebody to tell me you study the Bible too much, and there's a lot of people tell me you read non-Christian works too much. Uh, Titus 1.9 says that the overseer, the lead pastor, is supposed to exhort his people, encourage them in sound doctrine, but also refute, prove false those who contradict. And I'll tell you something, you cannot refute a belief system if you don't understand what it is. So a pastor's not only got to study God's truth, he's got to also study man's lies. Uh, and believe me, those lies are off the charts right now. Satan uh, is working overtime at this point. But, but Paul wants the, the Philippians, God, to give them more love, more knowledge, more discernment, so that they can approve that which is excellent, so they would be sincere and without offense, without blame. Uh, to be sincere means to be kind of true of oneself. You know, uh, to sincerely, you know, when you tell people, God bless you, you really do want God to bless them. When you tell people, I love you, you really do choose to love them. You're not being a liar. You're not being a hypocrite. Okay? And... Uh, and he wants them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Filled with the fruits of, of righteousness, um, righteous living. Um, look at Galatians 5. Just a couple books before this. 
Galatians chapter 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And if, if you want righteousness, if you want righteous living, if you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, it can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit changing you from within. It has to come from your heart. And so Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. It's real easy for us to grade ourselves, to give ourselves a report card and say, wow, I didn't punch anybody today, so I did good there, and uh, I didn't curse at anybody today, so you, you check that and say, man, I'm doing good. I'm like Moses, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual giant. And uh, you know, a lot of times we like to check all the things we didn't do. We don't, we don't check things we're supposed to do. Did you share your faith with anybody? You know, and so sin is not just doing the bad thing. Sometimes it's not doing the right thing. But we, we do this all with outward behavior, and we look and we say, wow, I'm a holy man. No, you're no better than a Pharisee on that point. The Pharisees outwardly, Jesus, even, even Jesus said of the Pharisees, outwardly they were white and clean, like whitewashed tombs, but inwardly they were filled with the stench of dead men's bones. So your report card is not, uh, I didn't curse today, I didn't, didn't yell at my spouse, um, you know, I wasn't too grumpy, um, I didn't cheat on my income taxes, uh, no, your report card is, hey, Phil, where's the love? Yeah, you didn't hit that guy, but you were thinking about it. You were thinking, well, if I hit this guy, um, I'm going to lose both my jobs. Um, we're not going to get kicked out of our house. I'm not going to, so yeah, you know, it's just like, no, no, no. Uh, God's working on the heart. Did, did you love that guy? Did you choose to love that guy even though he was pushing all your buttons? Okay? Did you have God's joy even though you got yelled at by your boss or things aren't going the way you want them to go? You have God's peace. Peace with God and, and peace with others uh, so long as it depends on you. And so our report card is really, it's really more one of attitude. See, uh, James, when James says in James one twenty two that be more than just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. He's not saying that's the end all. But if you're a doer of the word, that's better than just a hearer of the word. If the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, then you don't, you just, you hear that, then you do it. You say, okay, I'm not going to steal. That's not enough, though, because God wants more than your behavior. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. Um, Jesus doesn't want your outward behavior. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants that sincerity. He wants you to love God and others from the heart. And, um, and so in the end, it's not, it's not 
doing the right stuff, it's being. It's hearing, doing, and being. And the goal is that we be Christ-like from the heart. And, uh, and so he, Paul wants the Philippians to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And so you have the fruit of the Spirit working its way out in righteousness, righteous living, obeying God from the heart, and that's going to bear more fruit for God's kingdom. And, um, and he talks about that they're empowered by Christ for God's glory. Okay, so I don't know. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you didn't have as big of a battle with pride as I have had over the years, especially before I was a, a believer. Um, but every time I get a compliment from somebody, I, I thank them because it's nice for people to encourage you. I don't know where I'd be without encouragement. But I try to remind myself you know, very, very quickly that um, I could improve in some areas. I could improve in a lot of areas, okay? And uh, so be sincere, be truthful. Don't be a hypocrite. God's not, if you're still here, you're breathing, God's not done with you, okay? You still got a ways to go. And um, I remember at a graduation, I've told this story before, uh, the pastor, it was Pastor Loney from, Paulsville Community Church, in the graduation speech, he was talking about me, and he paid some compliments to me, but his message was on, you want to graduate high school, but you also want to serve the Lord throughout your life, and in the end, when you go before the Lord, you want the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, okay? And so this elderly lady that knew of my ministry, we were sitting way in the back at at Gateway Fellowship, after it was over, she came and she said, that's what God's saying to you right now. Uh, Pastor Fernandez, uh, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This was an elderly lady, and I thanked her and everything, but I thought, lady, I'm not dead. You know, back then I was a young man. I was probably, what, maybe 58? And uh, maybe 58 or 57. It's like, I'm intending on being around for another 40 years. Noah blew it. He got all naked and drunk when he was like in his... uh, 700s or 800s or whatever. He lived to be 950. You could go, hey, hey, I'm telling you, this is, this is not, this is not a 100-yard uh, dash. Okay? This is a marathon. God's not giving us little gold stars on a refrigerator door and saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's like, hey, you persevere to the end. You know, you can't say, um, uh, I've kept the faith, I've run the course, okay, until you've completely run the course. And, uh, and so, you've got to remember, if you're serving Jesus and somebody pats you on the back and say, Pastor John, you are just serving Jesus and I'm so proud of you and you're a great guy, you, you, you thank them for being nice and you, you know, remind them, yeah, without God I'd, I'd be nothing, um, but remind yourself that we've got to sincerely serve the Lord. Every good thing that could be said about Phil Fernandez, those are the changes God made in me. Okay? And uh, every good thing that has been done through me was done by God for God's glory. 
That works the same with all of us. Okay? John the Baptist, they come up to him. You know, uh, I mean, that would be like there's a church next door. And less and less people are coming to my church because they're going to the other guy's church. And let's say the guy's really preaching the word. That'd, be, that'd still be hard to take. But with John the Baptist, the enemies of Jesus, Jewish religious leaders said, you know what? You're baptizing less and less people, and this Jesus guy is now baptizing more people. All your people are going to him. And John could have said, well, my ministry's from God. I've got to put a stop to this. But he said, no, I understand what my ministry is. I'm supposed to bring people to Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. If we're going to live for the glory of God, that ought to be our rallying cry. Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. You know, every once in a while, I'll train a guy, and then they go off and start a church or accept a pulpit somewhere. And from a human perspective, you, you, you feel almost abandoned. It's like I poured my, my heart and my soul out to that guy for years. And now he goes and starts his own, his own church. It's like, well, that's what God, that's why God had you train the guy. You know? And it's not, it's not my job to do all the ministry. It's to equip the saints for service. And when you go out there and you preach God's word, we rejoice. It's for God's glory. Now, if it's for God's glory, you know, then I got to say, well, the guys and the gals that I've taught God's word, even if, it, it, well, even if they're still coming here, but they're going out and they're sharing their faith with others and preach, I need to rejoice in that. Okay? What about the people that don't like Phil Fernandez? What about the, those people who, behind my back, go around Kitsap County and say, Fernandez is a joke? And believe me, there's a few pastors who have, hopefully their views have changed over the decades. You know, when I started a church with five people, and we very quickly grew to 12, uh, I was not the most respected pastor. You know, we, were 30, we were a nomadic church for 33 years. Now in our 34th year, we got a building. Um, but I'm sure there's still pastors going around. You mentioned my name. And they do the eye roll. <laughs> Look what the cat drug in. It's Fernandez. And, um, um, but if they're preaching a true gospel and they don't like me, I don't know how anybody can not like me. I'm such a... <laughs> Essex County, New Jersey, half Italian. What's, the, what's not to like, right? But, um, but somehow, I'm just going to... I'm glad. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to take it on faith that there are people out there that don't like me. But what if the guy that doesn't like me, maybe even badmouths me, is preaching the true gospel? And somebody gets blessed by it. And the guy talks, somebody talks to me, yeah, I was really blessed by so-and-so's message. Am I supposed to say, don't ever listen to that guy again? He thinks I'm an idiot, you know? Well, Paul, Paul tells us what's going on here. And so... Look at verses 12 to 18. But I want you to know, brethren, remember, it's for God's glory, not Paul's glory. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. See, they thought they could shut up Paul 
by putting him in prison. Okay? That's a mistake, man. Hey, hey, by the way, even human governments know that. Human governments, will, our government may have to make a choice someday. They might say, well, this Fernandez guy says a lot of things that tick us off. He acts like there's an authority over the United States government, and that authority is the triune God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, we'd like to bring this guy down. However, they might look, they say, well, look, his, his church isn't that big. He teaches at a small Christian high school. Uh, he's got some kind of internet presence, but they have to decide. Do we bring this guy down, make a martyr out of him, and then maybe his movement while he's in prison grows tenfold? So it was, it was kind of like the, the Nazis when they took power. The pastors of the smaller churches usually were safe, and the pastors of the really large churches were safe. Because if you arrest one of them, you got 5,000 people protesting on day one, and that number grows. And, um, but they thought, hey, we, we imprisoned Paul, we shut him up. And he's like, no, no, what happened to me, my imprisonment actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, all the guards in, um, in Caesar's palace, um, they knew that Paul was unjustly arrested for preaching the gospel. And to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. By the way, we're, we're arresting people right now in this country that either haven't done anything wrong or maybe they did something wrong like trespassing on government grounds, but they didn't have any weapons. Many of them didn't even hurt people. We got people in solitary confinement who haven't even officially been charged yet. And we're talking months. And you might say, well, yeah, I used to hear about that all the time in the old Soviet Union and Red China today. Yeah, this is America. It's not supposed to be happening like that. But it is. Okay? So we need to, we need to say, hey, look, Jesus, I love you so much, I'm going to serve you even if they lock me up. Okay? And then you've got to decide, what if the church leaders get locked up. What's going to happen to Trinity Bible Fellowship? Believe me, we've got, the, we've got leadership in place. We've got godly men and godly ladies who can keep on keeping on. Okay? Uh, the Philippians didn't say, hey, we need to close up, close shop down because Paul's in prison. No. You know, the, the amazing thing about Paul wasn't Paul. It was the God who was at work in Paul. And guess what? That same God is at work in you and in me. And um, so the whole palace guard, so, so Paul's saying, look, my imprisonment has furthered the cause of the gospel. Even the palace guards knew that Paul was in prison for preaching Jesus, that he was not uh, uh, in prison for being a criminal. It says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying, now that I'm in prison, there's a lot of guys who didn't have the courage to preach who are now out there preaching. Okay? Um, that'd be like if you were growing up when I grew up, 
you know, I was in the lightweight class, the pros is the 135 pounds and under. Well, the world champion whose name was Roberto Duran. He was beating up everybody. So if you were a lightweight and you were an amateur and you thought, you know, I'd love to be the champion someday, you'd compare yourself to Roberto Duran and say, forget it, I'm not even turning pro. But then when Roberto Duran moved up in weight class, there's probably a lot of guys who said, hey, I could turn pro now. I got a shot now. Okay? Paul being in prison, a lot of guys are saying, I don't need to preach. Paul's preaching. When Paul's in prison, it's like, wait, if they imprison Paul and some of the other apostles, who's, who's the next man up? That's a, you know, sometimes you can get the best team in the NFL if they don't have a good bench and some of their guys get COVID or get injured, uh, who's going to stand in the gap? So there were a lot of guys willing to stand in the gap and gain courage and became more bold to speak the word without fear. But then Paul says, some indeed preach even from envy. Some of these guys envied Paul. You know? I'm sure they didn't say, oh, guy's an idiot. I mean, it wasn't like that. I mean, Paul's brilliant. But some of them were prob probably said, Paul, he didn't even walk with Jesus for three and a half years like the other apostles. He's not, he's not such a hot shot. Okay? But some indeed preach, preach, preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from self-ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. There was, you realize there's some guys that when Paul got in prison, they're like, okay, now's my opportunity. Every time I try to preach... Paul sends one of his guys to correct any little thing I get wrong here, as if the word of God is that important, you know. And uh, now, out of spite, I'm just going to start preaching every day now that he's in prison. And I'm going to make a name for myself. Paul's a thing of the past. Now it's, it's, it's me. I'm going I'm to be the guy. So they, they, they preach from selfish ambition, envy, strife, supposing to add affliction to my chains. They actually thought, by them going out and preaching, so these were guys that weren't really authorized. Paul Paul was like, you're not quite ready yet to be a preacher. Everybody should share their faith, but you're not quite ready yet to be a preacher. And these guys were thinking, by me preaching, that's really... Paul thinks he's got it bad in a prison cell in Rome, and now he's going to hear that I'm out preaching. That's really going to ruin his day. Okay? Is that a good motive to preach the gospel? No. That's a horrible motive. Selfish mo motive to preach the gospel. Um, yet, Paul could say, the former preached Christ from self-ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Okay? So what Paul's saying is, look, look, I'm in prison. The charges are trumped up on me. They're not true charges. I'm just in prison because I was preaching the gospel. Okay? 
By the way, if anybody here, including myself, we get locked up for preaching the gospel, I can almost guarantee they're going to give a different excuse for it. You know, they're going to make up something. I say, if they can make up stuff on the former president of the United States while he was president, you think any, and he's a billionaire, you think any of us are safe? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, right now we got a country, they, they gather through the NSA, they collect all our data, all our emails, all our phone transmissions, and it's all there. Now, they don't have the manpower to look at it all, but if you tick them off, then they start opening up your files. And um, um, what did Dinesh D'Souza, who went to prison for about five years, uh, um, I'm not sure how long he was in prison, but he said that the average American uh, breaks two to three federal laws a day without knowing it. Because there's so many laws, you can't keep track of them. And, um, and the only reason why you don't get locked up, they don't have enough people to enforce all these bogus laws. So you, do, you tick off the wrong person, the wrong powerful person, and they come looking for you, it's, um, they've got access to everything. And um, so the palace guards knew Paul was in prison for preaching Jesus. Uh, with Paul in prison, other believers became more bold to preach the gospel. Some preached due to envy. They envied Paul and strife and selfish. They were opponents of Paul to some degree and selfish ambition. Others preached with the right motives, love. But Paul rejoiced. He said, hey, I'm just glad Christ is preached, regardless of the motives. Now, keep in mind what he's not saying. He's not saying, I'm going to rejoice if, God, if heretics go out and preach a false gospel. Paul would never rejoice about a false gospel being preached. But if guys who didn't like him and guys who badmouthed him, okay, if they were going out preaching the true gospel, he said, I rejoice. I will rejoice in that. Even though they might say, look, Jesus is the only saver. You're a sinner. You need to acknowledge you're a sinner and Trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for you. Uh, by the way, don't listen to this Paul guy. He's, uh, he's not as hot as he thinks he is. Paul would say, praise God, the gospel's being preached. You know? I mean, who gave, in all the scriptures, who gave the worst assessment of Paul? Paul, he'd always make it clear, look, by the grace of God, I am who I am. The Lord appointed me to be an apostle. So I'm not going to back down from that. Even though he appointed me to be an apostle, I'm still the chief of the sinners. I'm the least in the kingdom of God because before I got saved, I persecuted the church. Okay? And so Paul's, Paul's the kind of guy, you badmouth him, he'd say, well... Yeah, you know, maybe I'm a little grumpy, a little loud at times, maybe a little argumentative. Yeah, you got those things right, but here's four other areas where I'm missing the boat, and, and you, you overlooked that, okay? Paul was not concerned about him getting the glory. He was concerned about Jesus getting the glory. 
And, um, and so Paul would say, hey, I don't care what the motives are for preaching. As long as Christ is truly preached, I'm going to rejoice. And um, while in prison, Paul is appointed by God for the defense of the gospel. So now you've got Roman guards coming to Christ. You've got people in the palace coming to Christ. And he's going to get to, he's going to, get to preach uh, even to Caesar, uh, as we see in the book of Acts, uh, during that first Roman imprisonment. And Paul said that he, he is called for the defense um, of the gospel. He's appointed for the defense of the gospel. When Paul was in prison, he defended the gospel, not himself. Okay? It's just like Jesus. Jesus was silent before his accusers when he was on trial when it came to defending himself. Now, if something he could say could help the person uh, who he stood before on trial, then he would say something. Um, but he didn't speak in his own defense. And, uh, and so Paul knew, this is really important, it's not in the notes there, you might want to write it down if you got a pen, Paul knew that it's all about Jesus. It's not all about Paul. I need to know. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. You need to know. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Okay? And um, if um, people think you're a fool, but they love Jesus, fine. Okay? God, this is tough for us to understand, but God is not going to prevent anybody from going to heaven based on their opinion of us. So it's okay if people don't like us. Okay? But you want them to love Jesus and to preach Jesus. And if they, you know, critique you, well, pray about it. Maybe there are things. I've had some bad sources tell me areas I need to improve. And I told them I'd pray about it. And sometimes I realize, hey, this guy's right. I mean, he's got a log in his eye, but he's right about the splinter in my eye. So you can sometimes get some really good truth from bad sources. Um, it's, it's rare, but it does happen. Now, in verses 19 through 26, Paul has a light, literally a life or death decision here. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I'm going to be delivered from prison. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, because of your prayers, the Philippians' prayers and the Spirit of Christ, I am going to be delivered from prison. When we read the following verses, you find out he doesn't know if he's going to be executed or if he's going to be literally released from prison. Okay? I'm telling you, God will always deliver his people. He doesn't always deliver us the way we want to be delivered. Okay? Sometimes he delivers you through the flood in an ark. Sometimes he delivers you from a fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes he delivers you like Daniel. 
from the lion's den. And sometimes he delivers you by saying, I'm going to take you home. So, so, so look, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, 2 Timothy, Paul is in prison, but it's his second Roman imprisonment. He ends up getting released from the first Roman imprisonment. And then eventually he gets rearrested and is in prison a second time in Rome. And in Second um, Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Well, if, we'll look at verses 6 and 7. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul's going to depart from the planet Earth. Okay? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Do you realize Paul would not have said that earlier in his life? And Paul's Paul. So he's, he's not counting on a well done, thou good and faithful servant, until he's persevered to the end. Okay? But then look at how Paul, so Paul's saying, they're gonna, the time of my departure has come. They're going to kill me, Timothy. This is why he tells them early on, God's not giving you the spirit of fear, timidity, but of power and discipline. Be courageous, Timothy, but you've got to battle now without me. My days are numbered. The Romans are going to kill me. Okay? And, uh, but how does Paul view that? Verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul's, Paul considers being delivered. God has two ways God could deliver him. One is to set him free from prison and the other is to take him home to heaven. Okay? Would we view it that way? If we were on death row for preaching the gospel, we were praying, Lord, deliver me. That's a good prayer. Deliver me by letting me go, Lord. Now, our prayer's got to be more like Jesus, you know. If there's any other way to save mankind, let this cup of suffering and death Remove it from me, but if there's no other way, your will be done, not my will be done. And so we should pray if we're in prison, on, even on death row, Lord, deliver me. Either set me free from here or give me the grace and the courage to endure um, if you've decided it's time to take me home. Okay? Now, if it's all about Jesus and it's not all about you, if it's all about Jesus and it's not all about me, then we'll be content with letting God make the call. Okay? Um, things don't go our way. We act like, why did God let me down? Let me tell you something. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never let anybody down. Like C.S. Lewis said, about the Aslan character, the type of Christ. He is good, but he's not tame. Sometimes my agenda, if it's not equal with God's agenda, it's because I don't have the mind of Christ on that point. And so let God, let God decide how he's going to deliver you. And so what Paul has here, back in Philippians 1, 19, 
He knows he's going to be delivered from prison either through his release or by dying. So he thanks the Philippians for their prayer, saying, God is going to answer your prayer. God's going to deliver me. It's going to be one way or the other. And um, yet, Paul's not ashamed for being in prison. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that is in it, and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, all Paul wanted, he wanted Jesus to be glorified in his life or in his death. So the important thing for Paul was not, should I live or die? The important thing is Christ being glorified. Whether I live or I die, I want Jesus to get all the glory. Can we have uh, that kind of faith? Yes, we can, because the same Holy Spirit who empowered Paul to have that kind of faith empowers us to have that kind of faith. But Paul's not ashamed. There's no shame in suffering for Christ. Okay? Um, we'll, we'll close with this. Uh, look at a couple verses. 2 Timothy 1.12. 2 Timothy 1.12, that's, that's the second Roman, this is the second Roman imprisonment where Paul is going to die in prison. And 2 Timothy 1.12, in fact, if you look at 2 Timothy 3.12, just as a side note, Paul says, yes, and all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you're a true believer, you're going to suffer persecution. It might, in America, it's just been ridicule. Now it's to the point where you could lose your job, you could lose your career, okay? But all believers suffer persecution. We don't get an exemption from it. But Paul in prison, on death row, 2 Timothy 1.12, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I, knew who, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul's saying, I'm suffering these things because of the gospel. I'm suffering these things because of Jesus, and I'm not ashamed. Paul, Paul is saying, I'd rather be in prison on death row for serving Jesus than the king of the world for serving the evil one. Okay, and, um, and we'll close with Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the good news of salvation in Jesus. I will never be ashamed of the gospel. When you're at work and you talk to a co-worker about Jesus and then that co-worker and a few other co-workers make fun of you for being a Christian and for not being politically correct, you have a choice. You, can be a, you could side with them, be ashamed of Jesus, Or you can just tell them, hey, I'll pray for you guys, but I'm preaching Jesus till he comes back. 
Yeah, the illustration you guys have probably heard it so much as I've worn you out with it that I give is that eighth grade, you know, Essex County, New Jersey. We were city kids, and they made us do a car wash to raise funds to send us to upstate New York to a dude ranch to terrify little city kids by putting them on big horses. And uh, uh, I probably should have gotten about 20 years of psychoanalysis for what they did to me. But at the end, we were tired from like eight hours of washing cars. And we were starting to put the stuff away. Nobody else was coming, it looked like. And then a car came from way out in the distance. And, um, and one guy said, oh, look at that car. That is filthy. That guy never washed his car. And they were laughing, and I was laughing with them. Okay? Until the car got closer, and I realized it was my dad's car. And then I had a choice. I was in eighth grade. I didn't re quite reach my rebellious years yet. I had a choice. I could side with my buddies and be cool and laugh at the greatest man that I ever personally knew. My dad. He loved me unconditionally. He was tough when he had to be tough. He was gentle when he had to be gentle. I could be cool, enjoy my friends, and laugh at him. Or I could say, forget about my friends, forget about being cool. I can never be ashamed of my dad. And I made the right choice on that day. And I was not ashamed. I stopped laughing. I was just happy that after a hard day at work, my dad cared enough to bring his completely filthy car <laughs> to, to get washed. But, um, you know, you might be sitting in a prison cell someday. And you might, you might think, you know what, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. And here I am serving Jesus, and now I'm in a prison cell. Um, don't be ashamed. You've joined the list of saints, Christian saints from throughout the centuries who have been willing to preach Jesus. You know, like, you know we got to say, hey, look, Jesus, uh, you know, I'm going to preach Jesus if you say Amen. I'm going to preach Jesus if you just shrug your shoulders. I'm going to preach Jesus if you beat me. I'm going to preach Jesus if you imprison me. And I'm even going to preach Jesus if you kill me. And then we're going to say with Paul what he says in the next verse. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Read over this passage over this next week and ask yourself, can that really be said of me? Can I honestly say from, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Or are you still living for yourself? Am I still living for myself? We've got to give God all the glory. We've got to live for Jesus came one of us to die on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for us. Let's close with a word of prayer.